You are now listening to the Claim It Podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, I love having conversations with people who I find inspiring and intriguing. We don't just talk about their current, most shiny things, but go through the journey of their life. That is with the hopes that you can find some more compassion for yourself, that you can see that there's still time for you to do that thing you've been wanting to do, to change your path, to try something new. I hope that listening to people's stories supports you. And if it does, if you love this podcast or enjoy it, (laughs) can you follow? That's the same thing as subscribe these days and leave a review. And if you do, you can screenshot the review and send it to podcast at yourjoyologist.com. And I will send you a thank you gift from my product line. Because not only do I love hearing your reviews or reading your reviews, just even having reviews in the systems helps podcasts become more discoverable so that other people can be claiming it too. Okay, on today's episode, I have Lisa Danielchuk. I um, was a guest on her podcast, which is called How We Can Heal, months ago, and really loved talking with her. So I was like, wait, I want to have you on mine. Uh, She is a trauma therapist, and she also does yoga for trauma. So I was super intrigued by that, and we get into her journey, but also talking about like some of these things that, you know, I think from being on social media, we can see a lot of shares about trauma and triggers and the nervous system and all of that. And um, so anyway, so I asked her some questions about that sort of stuff as well. Hope you enjoy it. And you can go check out her podcast, find my episode. I will link that in show notes over at How We Can Heal as well. All right, let's get to it. So I like starting with high school years, but you can go even earlier. I just like getting a background of like what life was like for you growing up. And then I especially like to focus on high school years because I just feel like (laughs) that can be such a like impressionable and challenging time and where we often can start to feel this sort of pressure of like who we're going to be for the rest of our life and what are you going to do and um, that. So like what, yeah, like, do you, what, what do you remember from high school? And like I said, you can go earlier of like, and did you have any idea of like what you wanted to be when you grew up or any sort of like what people were telling you, you, you know, Ooh, you should I do. love that. I love that. I do really remember having the, like what people are telling you, like the general messages from teachers and parents versus what you're hearing and seeing in your friend group and what's happening in your friend group. So as you say, high school, I actually think back to even like middle school, And I think about, and this sort of shows that I was interested in psychology from a really young age. Both my parents are mental health professionals, so I didn't really want to go in that direction. I wasn't like, ooh, I want to be a therapist. Uh, I just wanted to be outside and moving more, which is kind of why I do all the other things I do. But, But I remember watching people around me in middle school who were like, I'm a skater in sixth grade and I'm a gangster in seventh grade. And by the time they reach the end of high school, they're like tatted up and really in it. And I remember watching people like making decisions around smoking and around drinking. And I mean, this is kind of hilarious. I remember in sixth grade trying a cigarette with my friend and being like, like totally not liking it, but like not wanting to be, you know, I was kind of like, I was 
kind of a square already. So I like didn't want to be extra square. So I was like, you know, I'm going to quit. <laughs> so like, instead so of being like, oh, I don't like that, then like saying yeah, I'm going to quit. So like, like to put um, on as if, yeah, I smoke, but yeah, I think I'm going to quit now. <laughs> it's so funny when I think back to it. It's hilarious. I totally get it though. Like, yeah, you cool. know, yeah. it's like, I wanted to, like, I didn't, like, I wanted to keep connections with like a lot of different type of people. And I think I always had that, but I, but I was really interested in just like watching this process of one decision leading to another, leading to another, leading to another, and kind of seeing outcomes from that. And I had a lot of support, like parents and people in my life. And I, I think I always internally had a sense of like what I did and didn't want or what felt safe or unsafe for me. And so I would just find ways to like, day with myself, even though people around me were doing things that I was like, Ooh, I don't know. And now as a trauma therapist, I look back and I'm like, Oh, that's why they were doing them because they're, you know, were being abused in their home or they had all these other things going on. So when I think back to high school, I really, and even middle school, maybe even a little bit before that, I mostly think of that feeling of like knowing what was good for me, staying committed to it. Like I got really good grades. I did the honors in the AP classes. I did sports and stuff, but I also just wanted to be a human and like go hang out and go to the mall with my friends and like, you know, do some risky stuff. But I just, I, there was always a line where I was like, mm, but that's going to take it too far. And I watched that line develop and I watched, you know, me go to UCLA, me go to Harvard, me go to these places and people I knew just take different paths, right? It's not like that's the best path just because it's like, big name schools or anything. But, but I saw people that I knew and I was friends with in like sixth, seventh, eighth grade make these, it seems like micro decisions that would literally like end up in jail, end up getting shot, end up, uh, you know, I don't want to say end up like that's the end of their life, but that's, you know, 10 years down the line, things that would happen to them. And so it is interesting because I wasn't like, I want to be in psychology and mental health and I'm thinking about trauma all the time, but I was interested in my parents' work and I followed them around to conferences and stuff. And then I was watching and going, wow, it's so powerful how, and I think this speaks to your work and what you write, so powerful how one decision leads to another decision leads to another decision and how quickly we can abandon ourselves, right? And like do maybe not the things we want to do, but the things we think other people will accept us for, or we think will give us social capital, maybe in one world, but not in another. So yeah, that's honestly the first thing that comes to mind. I know I like was planning and like, I'm kind of a planner. I was like planning and thinking about my future, but mostly I was just like watching and going, okay, where, how do I find my way in all of this? And uh, so then when you were getting close to graduating high school, were you know you sort of said you were interested in mental or like you your parents worked in mental health and you were somewhat interested, but like when you it was time for you to like go off to college, did you have like okay yes I'm going to also enter that or like what did you think like at that time and like what made you choose the college you went to? So uh, uh, I I like follow my parents around to conferences when I was in high school, so mental health wasn't new to me. I took a psychology class at the um, we called it Harvard on the Hill. Uh, College of San Mateo, the local community college when I was in high school. So I was like, it was clear I was interested in psychology, but I went into college completely undeclared. And I actually waffled back and forth between Berkeley and UCLA forever. It was like torturing everyone around me. And I ended up choosing UCLA. And 
I, I know now it's because the culture there has a balance between academics and social and athletic things. And Berkeley was just much more focused on academic, at, I think, at the cost of those other things based on, you know, some people I know who went there and my experience of that culture. But I made, so I made the decision to go to UCLA on a gut. Like, I was like, I'm going to go to Berkeley. And then I sat with that and I was like, that feels really awful. <laughs> okay, I'm going to go to UCLA. And I didn't know why. But I went in undeclared and I literally opened up the schedule of classes or whatever. It was like a print, you know, uh, catalog with all of the majors and everything listed there. And I like crossed out everything that I was like, no, 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 no. And I was left with like oceanography or theater or astronomy or Italian or communications <laughs> or like the random palette. So what I did is I went in my first year. Oh, such fond times. I went in back when we were 18. I went in my first year and I picked classes from those majors. So I did, I think my first quarter, first year was like acting 10 or, you know, 101, whatever, astronomy 101, um, Italian and a communications class. Right. And so I just went in and took those classes and some of them were GE, like happened to be GEs too. Some of them, you know, didn't amount to much, but I got to just taste it and be like, okay, I really like this. So I ended up taking Italian and studying abroad in Italy, did a minor in Italian, ended up really pursuing communications with an interpersonal focus, which is really psychology. Because at that point, I think psychology for me as a, as a science or as a discipline was kind of dry. Like I knew the basics of it and I didn't want to keep going and I didn't really want to do like experimental psychology and research stuff. So communications was much more about people, right? It was much more about how we relate and how we influence each other and the choices we make and all of that. So, you know, now I have become really steeped in trauma and like how that influences us. But, but I think from the beginning, it was just like, I, I want to understand us. Like we're so crazy complex. Um, and, you know, acting can maybe get you some of that, but it just wasn't my thing. It was fun. I remember that class and I had a great time, but it wasn't like, oh, okay, now I'm going to audition for a play. It was just like, okay. Now what's next? Like, what am I really going to do? And were your parents and people around you supportive of this like exploration? Because that it sounds like you must have had good grades, like also to just be accepted to those schools. And then like, it feels kind of bold for me, like, great, I'm accepted to these schools. And then I'm going in and undeclared. And I just still don't really like know, you know, it feels like not the usual. Like you feel like I so often I feel like we're forced to like declare. <laughs> And then we feel like we can't change or we're wrong. And like, so I love that you were undeclared and then like sort of like explored that. Yeah, I think I did have support. I don't remember any, like my parents are very, I think one of their uh, mantras is like, do what works for you. So literally we'll be like trying to schedule lunch and I'm like, how's 12? They're like, well, what works for you? And I'm like, okay, 12 works for me. <laughs> you know, they're very, very flexible and supportive. And like they have their their boundaries and their needs all expressed too. But But I think that, was probably the message I was getting was like, yeah, go to, I definitely got supported to go to a good school. And I think my dad kind of, cause my brother went to Cal UC Berkeley. I think he kind of like wanted me to go there a little bit too. It's closer to home, all those things. So like they have their little things, but for the most part, like, I don't know that you could have at that point in time, like pressured me to decide something. I was very like, I have no idea. And honestly, I graduated UCLA and was like, I have no idea what I'm doing next. And I wrote about this in my last book of at the end of how people would ask that question, you're graduating college, right? And people are like, what are you going to do with your life? Like, what's next? 
some people have a job. They can say, oh, I'm going to take this internship. I'm going to take this job. I was actually working at the time in a, in a group home, but I had no idea. Like I, it wasn't like the doctor's path where you're like, I know I've got to do this much school and I've got to do my internship. It's like, it wasn't spelled out in front of me. So I literally would say to people, I could tell you something right now, but it's not going to be what happens. So why don't you just check back with me in 10 years and I'll let you know. That's amazing. <laughs> Cause I just had to feel it forward. And you think of it like, what do I do now? I like train mental health professionals and yoga teachers in using trauma-informed yoga. Was trauma-informed yoga a phrase or anything I ever said when I was in college? No. What yoga was like I had taken yoga classes. I had like trained to be a yoga instructor. I was really into it. I loved it. I knew it felt good. I knew it felt like supportive and healing, but yeah, it just wasn't a thing. And so I feel like feeling it forward was kind of the only option for me if I was going to be true to myself. And I am really lucky that I had enough space and support around me to do that. And enough, I think, life experience and faith around me to be able to, you know, those, those people have having had those types of experiences themselves when, you know, someone pressures you to go one direction and then you figure out it's all wrong and you have to do a huge reset. So yeah, I think I was really lucky in that way, but I don't know. Also, I'm kind of like, that's kind of bold, right? Like all the adults around you are saying, what are you doing next? And you're like, I don't know. But most of them would respond kind of like, yeah, that's true. Actually, I thought I was going to be an architect and then this happened or that happened. So yeah, it was just hard to not know, but also it was just the truth. I know. I love that. And I mean, I'm always like trying to share like to be more accepting of yourself when you don't know, because really like those people that are asking you, sure, they care about you and they love you, but it's also conversation. Like they're just like, oh, what are you going to do next? Like that, you know, it's like, and so a lot of these questions can come off as insulting, right? And it's just like, yeah, like, but we feel like we have to have an answer for people. And so that we feel like we have to have things figured out. And it's mm -hmm. like, not like really, I'm sure there are going to be some people when you say something like, oh, I'm not sure, or I don't know that then they like really want an answer, but really like, who cares? Like, they're just really like, they're asking you a question because they care about you and want to make conversation. But we put yeah. so much pressure on what does this mean about me if I don't know or don't have an answer? And it's just like, when really like, yeah, so much of life is these in-between spots. And then <laughs> Yeah. And yeah. And then that pressure, I think it comes from ourselves. It comes from our assumptions about other people sometimes. And, and it, sometimes it's also coming from real sources, but it, I do think it's important just to be able to, I guess, be honest. Like even when we're like, I know a hundred percent, this is what I'm going to do. We're like, mm, is that what I'm going to do? And I don't know, I think we're kind of evolving emotionally, uh, maybe as a culture or as a collective to be able to be a little more honest with those things. Like, I'd like to go in this direction or I'm curious about this or I've always wanted to do this, but I feel like it's more sensible to do that. Like, just to be able to hash out some of the subtleties a little more than to act like we're always so in control. Yeah. And that we have it all, we have to have it all figured out and know exactly the next five, like, and even like, what's your five-year plan? You know, like I remember at one point in my life, my stepdad asking me that and being like, to just enjoy my life. 
Like <laughs> sometimes I think you do, like, especially if you want an actionable like goal, like, yeah, I needed to put a plan together to actually sit down and write the book I'd been saying I was going to write for like years. Yes. But yeah. I've also like when he asked me at that time, I had already accomplished so much in my life and like was like, did all these things. So I was like, I don't know. I'm just enjoying like life right now. Like, <laughs> like we don't always have to have a next goal or plan or vision. <laughs> and I always remember my cousin, Jason, I went and visited them. They were in Ventura and I remember visiting them. I was probably like 12 or maybe younger and he was in high school. And I remember him saying like, I'm in high school. Like this is, this is like an amazing time of life. I'm never going to be back here again. Like, I don't want to miss this experience because I'm so stressed out about what's next or, you know, he didn't say it in those words, but he basically was like, yeah, I'm just enjoying, you know, I'm trying to just enjoy it. And I was like, yeah. And, and that was a little, one of those little moments that clicks with you of like, you can't go back and redo or, you know, reprioritize. You have to bring those priorities into each moment. And so it was like, okay, yeah, like live your life, enjoy your life. Yes. You know, maybe have a plan or have a goal or have an interest or a direction or, or seek out a direction. But so many of those things, they just sort of happen almost, I want to say almost in the background, right? It's like you meet someone, I was just thinking about this this morning, you meet this person at a conference and then they refer you over here and then you meet this whole group of other people. And then you have these conversations there and you end up writing a book together, right? It's like, I can't write that into my five-year plan. Right. You know? Totally. And I mean, that's why I love like talking about like starting with high school because to see like so often too, people like end up taking so many like twists and turns in different paths and that, yeah, we're putting so much pressure on ourselves to like figure our lives out starting in those early years and still now. And it's just like, what if you just put, took the pressure off and then like actually allowed yourself to be in your life and then things would naturally show up and like, yeah, I don't even like this job anymore. But I was like, told myself I had to do it. I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah. My parents retired uh, a handful of years ago. And so they started having these conversations looking back. Right. I think that's looking back. It's easy to see a thread and how it unfolded or how it developed and who and what was pivotal. But looking forward, it's pretty much impossible to see that stuff. So remember them having these conversations of like mentors that were really influential in their lives or, you know, moments or experiences that seem to sort of point them in a different direction. Uh, and yeah, we just can't really plan for that stuff. I, I also love, you know, visioning things and, you know, dreaming or fantasizing even. I love like thinking things forward. And I, I am a planner in a lot of ways. Like I'm looking over to my left right now because I have like a, a full wall calendar of the rest of 2022 <laughs> and all of 2023 on my wall, not even joking. So like it, it feels good to like put it out on paper. I'm a very visual person, but so it's not like, like don't plan, but it's like, I think when we get too attached to that stuff, it just causes suffering. It just causes more suffering for us and and for other people because we're so like, gripped to, but I was going to be a doctor. And then you realize like, you're never going to be able to give someone a shot or take blood. And you're like, uh Oh, <laughs> now what? Okay. Let's jump back into, so did you end up graduating like with like getting into psychology or, and then, cause yeah, you said you sort of graduated and wasn't sure what was next, uh, but that you were working somewhere. Yeah. So at UCLA, I graduated with, um, bachelor's in communication studies with a focus in interpersonal, okay. uh, interpersonal communications, which essentially was like 
So lower division, like a lot of broad social science, like social work and communications and psychology. And then upper division was like almost all psych classes, Uh, but you could kind of pick and choose. Right. So it was, that was nice. And then I was working at a group home at the time with youth, essentially with um, coping with developmental trauma and challenges that relate to that. And then I just, you know, kept feeling it forward. I started working in a school for um, kids who just got out of juvenile hall. And then I think partly because of my upbringing, like I mentioned, I was around a lot of people who ended up going into juvenile hall or having those sort of like more challenging or rough adolescent experiences. So like I ended up working in the juvenile halls. I felt like I kind of got these people. I feel like I had seen those choices that people had made that maybe seem small, but end up more serious. I feel like I had seen the environment some of my friends were growing up in that, you know, whether there was violence in the home or or things like that going on, I kind of already had this sense, even though we weren't using the words developmental trauma at that time, I already had this sense of like, this is a good person here in front of me. And they've been through some things that have been, that have impacted them. And they've made some choices for a variety of reasons that have led them here. But like, I can still connect with them. I can still ask them about their choices. I can like, so I was already kind of doing counseling at that point more informally, right? So I was like in a role of leading groups and like working one-on-one with people and doing um, with the mostly adolescents and doing like uh, enrichment activities. We would like go fishing or go sailing or whatever, but it was such a great opportunity then to have an authentic connection with someone, right? Cause it's not like, okay, I'm in my twenties and you're in your teens. Let's sit down and do a counseling session. It was like, let's play cards and talk about, you know, what's going on. If you want to, if it comes up, let's go fishing for the day. And when you're tired in the car on the way home, you might feel comfortable to be like, I don't want to go home because of my parents or whatever. Right? Like, That stuff comes out naturally in the course of a relationship. And I think my biggest problem with psychotherapy, especially as a younger person, was like, it just feels so formal and it feels so like... Like traditional, like you go for a therapy session. Yeah, it's traditional and it's formal. And there's like, there's this sort of professional-ish air around it that can feel stiff. And like, I just never wanted to be like that. So like, I sit on the floor with clients. I do yoga. I go walking. I like... and working with adolescents in those environments, it was very easy to do that type of counseling where you're just a person and you're there and you can have a conversation maybe in the car or walking side by side. It's like less confrontational, right? Than like, okay, Trisha, sit down. Let's, let's have a talk. Let's talk about your problems. Like, I don't know about you, but like those things, I don't know, it just kind of like freezes you up. Whereas if you're out doing whatever you do, even if it's like, I don't know, golfing or hiking or, you know, mowing the lawn. Like it's just more natural, I think. Yeah. I feel like I've heard something and I don't know what it, who said it was something too, but like maybe it was even just in like having those like more challenging conversations with relationships that it's often easier for people to have, like when they're like side by side, like walking or like not looking each other in the eye than like, yeah, you're sitting across from someone like just staring at them. Like (laughs) There's so much excessive focus on it almost, right? Where it's like, and you think of the really vulnerable moments. People like to just kind of slide something, you know, even friends. They're like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. My husband's been kind of off lately. But anyway, how are your kids? Like, you know what I mean? Like people just, the more vulnerable comments, they'll just kind of slide it in there and probably not want to go there and stay there for a long time because vulnerability is painful, right? It's like, raw and you feel exposed or you don't know how the person's going to react. And so 
having places where, yeah, you can be side by side and you can just like test something out or not have to be so in your face about it. And I think that's true with, with a lot of trauma recovery stuff too, because it's like, we don't, you know, and this is like a whole other conversation, but in terms of like therapeutic approaches, but some people want to like bring the hard thing front and center, like look at it, look at it in, in, right in your face and like feel the feelings. It's like part of the reason we have PTSD and like avoid things is because looking at it in your face is too hard, right? So it's sneaking in your consciousness. It's sneaking in your life. It's coming out in behavior. But like, what if we just look at a little bit of it? Or what if we walk side by side with it? Or what if we like find a way to connect, not completely disconnect, but not completely like stare it down either. And my experience has been that is much more effective to like build a relationship with something and someone that's more side by side than like confrontational. So like going back into your like life journey. Uh, so like, yeah, so you, what did you end up doing? Cause you did mention you went to Harvard. Like, did you take some space or like what ended up making like that jump? So I, Finished UCLA, was working um, with these youth, was like loving it, was all about it. And my roommate at the time, well, another big important thing right before I finished UCLA is my older brother passed away. This was 2002. And suddenly, out of nowhere, gone, right? And that That was before you graduated. Before I graduated, that was right before I graduated. So I think I had like four classes left or something. Okay. So like same when that happened, and I ended up taking a lot. Like basically took two quarters to finish those last four classes because I just gave myself space, um, which I think was really good. And I remember taking one class that was on stress and coping, and I was like, perfect, (laughs) like sign me up. So that was really pivotal for me because I was really busy at the time, and I dropped pretty much everything except yoga and, you know, work and some amount of school and yoga became very healing for me. And so I started teaching yoga with the kids I was working with. And I was just super passionate about something about the work with the kids felt very like alive in my body. I felt very connected to it in my heart. I felt very like on purpose. Right. So, so with all of that, I was uh, living with uh, a woman named Abby and she said, hey, uh, she was going to, I think, Santa Monica College. And she said, hey, you know, one of my classmates brought up this program that I think would be perfect for you. And it was called the Risk and Prevention Program. It was a master's of education at Harvard. And I hadn't seen anything like it before. And I had kind of like always wanted to go to grad school, but I wasn't at that point, I wasn't actively pursuing anything. I was just like trying to get through it day to day. Right. Like I was in a deep grief and healing process. But I saw the program and I was like, oh, yeah. And so I'd actually had this yoga conference planned. I was supposed to go to, I don't know, maybe a yoga journal conference or something. And I just pivoted maybe a week before and said, you know what? I'm going to go visit the Harvard campus. Because before that, I would always just move places without seeing them. It was like, I don't know, something I was sort of proud of in my young life. I just moved there out of faith. And I was like, you know, that's great. But let me just go and see if this program is really everything it looks like it is. So I rolled up in Cambridge and I walked up to, and I had actually ordered a book of one of the founders of the program beforehand and started reading it and was like, yes, yes, yes. This is everything I'm doing. Yes. I love this. Uh, His name was Mike Nuckala. And so I rolled up in his office and just knocked on the door and he's like, hello, come in. And I sat down and had a 45 minute conversation with him. And he was just embodied everything that 
I was just talking about of like that comfort in yourself and that availability for connection. Like he was a counselor through and through. Right. And so he ended up becoming my advisor in the program, but I had, I had to, I don't know that I had to go and do that, but that like nailed it down for me, that trip. There was a yoga studio with Patricia Walden, the Harvard Grad School of Ed, and the apartment I ended up moving into that I looked at in that first trip that made a little triangle on the map. (laughs) And I was like, all right, here I come. And, you know, I was also feeling, I think at that time, especially with having lost my brother, like very oriented to signs and spirituality. And so things like that were just like, hello, Lisa, do it, right? So I ended up moving out there and doing the risk and prevention program. And then they created maybe a year or so before I got there, they created a second year program that was a counseling license. So I went this kind of roundabout path that felt very true to myself into getting licensed as a psychotherapist. I got licensed as a mental health counselor in Massachusetts, transferred that to California, right? Over time. So yeah, it was, it was more about at that point in my life, what so many things didn't feel worth my energy. And I don't know if you relate to this just with your experience of loss, but like even things I loved, like you said, where you're like, I've been doing this, this sound work and it's great and it's my dream, but like, eh, I'm going to quit. Like I'm done. Like even things I loved were just like, if they didn't carry enough, whatever, I, I was just done with them. And so it was very clear to me And I don't know why, but I always like feel all of this in the center of my body, like in my heart and my gut, like there's like, it's not really a a brain decision. It's more of like a body pulling you in a certain direction. But I felt very centered in that way and very clear of like, this is important to me. And this is what I want to spend my life doing. Because you also get that very real check of like, I don't know how long I'm going to be here. Like, yeah, maybe we've been talking about this life plan and I've been assuming I'm going to do A, B, C, D in this order. but at any point in time, something could happen. And then that's, you know, you see the end of someone you love, the end of their life. And you get this, like, that was it. All those moments we shared together, like, that was it. That's the arc. That's the beginning, middle, end. And it's like, okay, I've, you know, just got to do what's most important for me. And fuck the shoulds. You know? <laughs> and I gotta like seriously kick them to the curb and do what, and like, when I think of wants, I think of like, oh, I really want a cookie. But I also think of like that body feeling that I'm talking about of like, this is where I'm feeling pulled. This is what feels most important to me. And so that, you know, in a way, while you never, never wish that type of loss on anyone, like it did really orient my life in a way to being true to myself and to pursuing what I wanted. And so, yeah, that's what led me to the ed school at Harvard and um, just to getting licensed as a therapist. And then like, yeah, so once you were licensed too, and like, cause yeah, like now a lot, I don't know, when did the start like focus for like the, was that always the trauma work, a main part? And then like the yoga for trauma and like, yeah, a lot focus on the trauma was, I mean, definitely that was related to what you were studying, but did you all like come out of that program and like, what did you do and like, how has your work evolved? Mm, Yeah. So I was always the yoga lady, like every place I worked, people were like, Oh, yoga lady, yoga Lisa. (laughs) Um, uh, Miss D, can we do some yoga? 
And like sometimes they were laughing or teasing and other times they were like really into it and wanting it. And this was staff and students and people across the board. So I basically started even, you know, I'm trying to think even while I was at UCLA and then after while I was working, I would, you know, I taught yoga for kids in this housing development in Watts while I was at UCLA. And then I taught yoga for, you know, in the group home and with the kids in the juvenile hall program. And and then I just kept doing that. I taught yoga for the librarians at Harvard Grad School of Ed. Like anywhere someone wanted it or was accepting of it, I'd be like, all right, let's do some yoga. So I wasn't like calling it yoga for trauma. I have a really long history of trauma training from my mom because she specializes in dissociative identity disorder. So I didn't name it at the time. But, you know, I like I said, I've been going to these conferences and I would like sit in and listen to the lectures. I would talk to the participants. I like had a pretty solid understanding of trauma. And by the, there was one class on trauma at the ed school at Harvard and that was it. Right. And even that, I don't feel like I got everything I learned out of that. It's like this one little piece. And so I feel like I finished grad school and then had to start putting my worlds together. I really needed to communicate to people yoga is powerful and this is why, and this is how these things connect. Because I still at that point in time got a lot of like yoga's airy fairy, yoga's sort of hippie, yoga's sort of weird. Like it wasn't as mainstream as it is today. And even now I think with it being popular, there's still this kind of like, oh, it's about being bendy or it's about these other things. I mean, a yeah, lot of that's it's funny. Like now with it being so mainstream, it doesn't like, it's almost like I forget its power now, if that makes sense, because it's like, yeah, everybody does yoga or there's yoga streaming this, that, whatever. And that it sort of to me like will end up being more like another exercise option, which is how I got into it originally was it's an exercise option. And then it was like, oh, my gosh, this is so much more and so deeper and like changed my life in so many ways. And then now I still like tend to think of that. And I'm like, oh, no, yeah, yeah no, it's it's not like it supports my body in those physical ways of the strength one way, but in the flexibility, way, but yeah, it's like so much deeper. It's so much more. And I think there are still tons of people out there who don't get that. Right. Like I feel like once you start talking about yoga and trauma recovery, there's so many bridges between the two. There's so many ways that if you look at yoga philosophy and you look at uh, principles of trauma theory, it's like the exact same intention. Right. And so I think what started to happen for me is I would take a training as a psychotherapist, whether it's EMDR or neurofeedback or, you know, go to a conference, I'd learn something and I'd be like, that's just another way of saying this other thing we say in yoga. So it's not like yoga by nature is this trauma-informed practice, but it has these seeds in it that are pretty much parallel to what we're doing on either side, right? So I started drawing these connections and then I wanted to tell people. Right. Then I was like, rather than just being like, I'm the yoga lady, let's do a yoga class. I was like, let's talk about yoga for trauma recovery. Let's talk about yoga and trauma. Let's talk about how we can integrate yoga into trauma healing. Right. So I started teaching workshops and was like standing on whatever street corner I could and telling people all about that. And then that's what sort of plowed forward into writing books. Like there was just this energy to it where I was like, this is so obvious to me now and it's so clear. And I remember struggling to try to communicate why is yoga powerful? Why should we use it in therapeutic settings? And now I have all this like, and along that same time, there's research coming out, there's randomized control trials, there's like 
you know, qualitative and quantitative research. There's all kinds of robust research coming out. And so I'm living it forward during that time. And at a certain point, I'm just like, duh, like, how are we not doing this? Like, it, it's such a resource. And I think about like, you know, I was just interviewing someone on my podcast doing yoga in the military. And you think about, and I have friends who've like lost siblings because to suicide after being in the military, like PTSD related. And I'm like, not that I can say yoga would prevent that for everyone, but I'm like, oh, there's so many tools here that could be helpful that if people have access to, we won't know what we prevent unless we like track statistics over 10 years or something. But, but I just feel like, there's such an opportunity there for people to understand themselves, process the things they've been through, resource themselves in a way where they can manage and move through PTSD or manage and move through really hard times in life. And I think if we teach yoga in that way, and if we bring some yoga perspective principles, some movement, some more body stuff into psychotherapy, like there's so much more possibility for an embodied sense of healing to happen and for people to not go down those paths, like, you know, the people I saw growing up or not go down those paths to choose to end their lives. So it feels to me like it's such a powerful thing. And I just like went on a rampage for like 10 years of like yoga for trauma, yoga for trauma. And I feel like nobody cared, but now I think people are starting to care, which is great. Even though I'm like kind of tired of talking about it at this point, I'm like, read my book. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, when you were like, in the beginning, when you were guiding everywhere and you went there and then even started talking about it, it's was it not even like here is yoga, like specifically for trauma. So like you're leading a session for someone specific, you know, like instead of doing a like talk therapy, it's like, here's a yoga session and we're going to like process your trauma through it. Is it more simply like you are doing yoga? So it is helping you with your trauma or like, did you end up like intertwining them in some way or like, I guess, like customizing the flow of what poses are and stuff to be more healing or bring them more into their body and feeling safe in their body? Because I guess, too, like, I don't know, I'm not a therapist, but through coaching work, I've had people that, you know, have gone through different, had seen different therapists and had different like therapy. And so they would tell me about how like, yeah, like how often for people with PTSD and trauma, like they, um, don't feel like they disembody often or like that them even like they don't feel comfortable in their body. So they don't really know how to take care of themselves because they are so used to dissociating. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think that's a really important piece that, that when people dissociate, you know, it's like, what do you mean? What do I feel like for some people when they're dissociating, what, what do you mean? What I feel in my body? Like I don't feel my body. It's numb. That's the point. Right. And I think that's where some of these other treatments that are like, put it in your face, feel it. And it's like, and people go numb. They're like, I don't feel anything anymore. And then the, right. Cause they're so, they have, they're, they have so gotten in, they, they have just created this, uh, coping mechanism, I guess, of dystodia. And so then the therapist is then let's talk about the trauma. And then they immediately like unconsciously, subconsciously like, Oh, I can't. Right. I feel nothing. And they're like, yay, you're healed. And that happens to this day. I just, Trisha, I was just listening to a podcast. Alex, my partner, like forwarded it to me. He's like, you got to listen to this. And I was listening and the guy was talking about all of his struggles and the things his therapist asked him to do. And like, I don't know the situation. And it's just a report in a podcast, but I was just like, horrified because the, what they were describing, it, it, it sounded to me like 
this person was just going number and number and number rather than connecting with the fears, connecting with the feelings, understanding them, building a relationship with them, being able to move in and out of them. It was like just making things more polarized where there's like more numbness or more avoidance rather than this sense of, okay, I can be with feeling afraid. I can be with feeling whatever that feeling is. And I can know this feeling is starting to really overcome me. I know now to dip out of it and come back to it. So it's not this like all or nothing one or, or the other side of the equation, but it's really like bringing things together. So to answer your question, like, yes, to everything you said, like it's, I would do yoga with people in therapy sessions. I would, you know, customize things based on what I saw happening in their nervous system, what their symptoms were. But I also had the benefit of like being a licensed therapist and being a certified yoga teacher. And I think even within that over time really learned like it's important to bring these two together. And it's also important for me to be really clear about like, what's my role for this person now? Because if you're teaching a group therapeutic yoga class, really easy, even if you're teaching just a general yoga class, probably even on Zoom these days, really easy for someone to come up at the end and start spilling their life story, telling their, and it's not always the most helpful thing for them. Right. And so figuring out like, when am I in mental health counselor land? When am I in yoga land? How do they cross over? So that was a big part of my own journey too, is just like putting them together and making it really clear how they connect and then pulling them apart and making it really clear, like when something just belongs in one place or the other, or when I want to wear my yoga teacher hat or my therapist hat. And then in terms of like the intersection of the two, there's so much possibility, like I said earlier, where it's like, it's just, are you speak, are you saying it in English or Spanish? Like, are you saying it in yoga or are you saying it in therapy speak? And so I started writing yoga into treatment plans based on my training in somatic psychotherapy, based on what I understand of trauma in the nervous system, based on my understandings of the symptoms and the diagnostic criteria PTSD. Like I could write it in because I could speak either of those languages. Now, if I was writing it in as a yoga therapist, I would maybe write, oh, we, you know, worked on reducing rajas and increasing, you know, sattva. Like, I'm not going to write that in my mental health treatment plan because that's not who is maybe reading or reviewing or approving those things. But in a yoga therapy setting, you could use that language. So it really just felt like to me that that intersection, that 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 middle land is just are you skilled at speaking the languages? Do you understand both of these things deeply enough to be able to at least to some degree identify the mechanism, like what you're trying to do with the breath work, what you're trying to do with the body shapes? Do you understand the person in front of you? I keep going back to I was at a conference recently and there was a slide that said, any intervention is risky if you don't know your client. <laughs> like you got, that's like so basic. You got to know the person and then you got to know these languages and be able to fold all that together. And I think that's where it starts to become an art a little bit more because it's like never going to be the same, always evolving. There's all this cultural context around, right? Then 2020 comes and then there's this other layer of pandemic. Like there's so much there that we have to factor in in our work with people. Um, but yeah, there there are really strong foundations of each world, yoga and trauma therapy. And there's such a huge overlap in the middle where we can do those things. Like move in a session, sit on the floor, you know, choose a sequence that's going to help for whatever most of the people in the room are dealing with. Hey, it's Trisha here, and I am so excited. I am so loving this new community that I am building and pouring my heart into. 
It is called From the Heart, and it's my new membership space. It is only $12 a month, $9 a month if you do the annual subscription. And I am loading you up with love, support, motivation, compassion. So most days, you know, let's say Monday through Friday, I am sending a message from the heart, from me to you that lands directly in your inbox. But you can also come and check it out at any time at trishahuffman.substack.com and on the Substack app. So the content is always there for you to go find what it is you need, but also you get what I'm sending you right when it goes out, right to your inbox, making it super easy. So these things are me, if you've been following me a while, listening to me, spending some time with me, but they're different. For instance, every week you get an audio affirmation. So it's like back and forth where I'm saying affirmations to you and you are and you repeat it back, I am, and there's space for that. There's also audio pep talks, mind talks, heart talks that you get at least one per week. Different than the podcast is these are short, like five minute messages max that I'm talking straight to you, pouring love into you. Also written posts, some are shorter written posts, again, right from the heart, And some are longer blog form where I'm sharing an experience from my life and then at the end pointing it out towards you with some questions to answer. Also, every month you get journal prompts for the month and so much more. Become a member. You can comment. Just try it out. You can get a free week. Go to trishahuffman.substack.subscribe and you can get a fully free week. Now, FYI, there is a free option for the membership. And with that, you get only a monthly post. So the free week trying out the full subscription is different than the free membership. So the free membership, I'm also pouring love into you, but it's only once a month. The real magic is in the paid and it's only $12 a month, only $9 if you join annually. All right, I am loving it. It feels so great to be putting my time and attention into you all this way. Go check it out. Can you talk a little bit about the nervous system? Because <laughs> you like mentioned it just like what well, and um I feel like people talk a little bit more about like our nervous system and nervous system regulation. I've seen more people talk about and um yeah, I would just, I still am sure, and I even myself would like to understand more like what is our nervous system, but like, yeah, like how does that like correlate with healing and trauma and being in our body and then like being able to like be in our lives and show up as who we want to be if our nervous system is not, uh, I don't know what you would even say, settled or like, what would you even say about the nervous system? almost like dynamic. I would almost say dynamic to that, but so many thoughts. And it's really funny because I personally, in my world, people have started talking about the nervous system so much that I'm like, hello, we're like a whole body system. Like funny, nervous, nervous system, nervous system. Like, so I honestly try to say it as little as possible now, but But I'm guessing the everyday listener who is not going to your um, (laughs) those pendulum swings, right? Where we're like too much, too much. Um, But yeah, I I do also appreciate and and really celebrate that that conversation is happening more because 
for a while, it felt like, especially even in the yoga world, we were all muscles and bones and like positions and, you know, people weren't really thinking about, well, what's your overall experience? What's your level of activation? So I would say for people who are like, okay, tell me about the nervous system. I mean, we could spend hours. Yeah. Um, The basics, like people have probably heard of like fight and flight, right? Like you get in an emergency situation, your nervous system is your, you know, central nervous system, brain and spinal cord, peripheral nervous system, all the nerves that go out through your body. So when we talk about your nervous system, we're talking about your brain, (laughs) everything that goes through your spinal cord and all the nerves that go through your body. And we have nerves that, you know, direct the direction of things going from our brain out to our body. Like, okay, I'm going to move my hand now. And then we have messages that come from the outside in like, oh, this cup is hot and I can feel it. And then, you know, I get that information from the outside and it goes to my brain. So the nervous system is really how we relate to the world, how we move our bodies, how we, you know, obviously our brain does so much. Uh, So to neglect that is kind of ridiculous, right? It's, so central to everything that happens and our experience of life. So there's people are familiar with fight and flight. Some, some emergency happens, something stressful, big stress, something traumatic happens. We might want to fight back. We might want to run away. People are less familiar though. It's becoming more common to hear about freezing, which is where uh, dissociative responses can start to come into play. So one thing I would say is, We can always be tracking or aware of the level of arousal or activation in our nervous system. And there's activation that feels good. Oh, I'm excited. I'm talking to Trisha on this podcast, right? Or, oh, I'm nervous. I'm speaking in front of a thousand people, right? And then there's activation that's, oh shit, I'm going to die, right? Like I got in a bike accident a week or so ago love having all my trauma tools. Cause I was like, I'm like, good. <laughs> you know I mean? Like you can use these things. They're so helpful, but there's a, a moment where your body doesn't, where you and your body might not know if you're okay yet. Like, did I live through that? Right. And so that's where like emergency activation might come into play. And I use that example because there's plenty of other really horrific examples like interpersonal violence and, you know, assault and all that stuff that the same sort of things apply where something intense happens and your nervous system like will just turn on to try to get you to safety. And really the goal, I think, of the way our brain has evolved is to try to find the most efficient way for us to get to safety. So there's like 12 models of the nervous system I could explain and talk through here, and I'm not going to do that. (laughs) But like we can really track something happens that's stressful or, or traumatic or, you know, overwhelming or however we want to call it. And we can track how, you know, usually we'll have this little, if it's, if it's not a sudden thing, we'll have like a little soft freeze of like what's going on. Then if we need to, we'll go into that activation, like get something done, get to safety. If that doesn't work, that's typically when we start to um, top out or bottom out and change to I've got to shut down to survive this, right? And that's where we start getting the numbing and the freezing and all of that stuff. Super complicated because life experiences are infinite. So we could talk about, well, how's your nervous system responding in the wake of grief how or, or loss? How is it responding to any particular type of trauma? But we see these really common um, patterns. And if we want to super, super oversimplify it, we can just think of like, is it more on 
Is it more off? Is it more activated? Is it more suppressed? Do you feel more um, agitated, anxious, tense, or do you feel more collapsed and shut down? And you think about this like everyone has a nervous system, right? What are the most popular things to go to therapy for? Anxiety and depression, right? Anxiety, tension, up, racing thoughts, worry, depression, lethargy, can't get out of bed, not feeling passionate, don't want to eat, right? So depending. So the way I see pretty much, the way I hear pretty much everything people describe to me as a psychotherapist, I'll hear it through the lens of activation of the nervous system or suppression of the nervous system. And I'll hear it through the lens of how is this serving you? How is your body trying to cope with something? How is it trying to keep you safe? And what is it? What are those little um, connectors or bridges that can actually get you into a place in your body, brain, and being where you do feel safe? Because that's where we tend to have more connection to ourselves, more of a sense of choice and agency. So in terms of yoga, in terms of breath work, in terms of any kind of therapeutic intervention, we're looking at like, where are you in the extremes and stuck? What practices can we use to kind of bring more pliability, more, more opportunity for movement into your nervous system? So, and that's why I answered earlier with dynamic, right? Like, it's not that we never feel scared or anxious. It's not that we never get tired or exhausted or depressed or we never have these moments of, of even dissociation or numbness. Like all of that is a normal spectrum. But when we get stuck there tends to be when it really impacts our lives in a negative way. So it's like, can we be more pliable? Can we be more dynamic? Can we start to know what choices to make to work with where our nervous system is? And that's where when I give the example of like falling on my bike, the other weekend, I feel the activation, right? I, I know that there's something I need to do with that. I can use my body in a way to move that energy through so I don't go through the next week or month or year of my life tense and afraid and stuck, right? So it's finding those bridges to move through some of that energy, to know what you can do to recreate or reconnect with or identify a sense of, I'm okay. Like I'm okay right now. And I'm not in emergency mode on either end of, the, of those spectrums. Interesting. Yeah. Cause I, uh, like one of the common things I always come to myself with and then like, like to share with clients and stuff too, is just the simple, like asking myself, like, what can I do to nurture myself right now? So it is like when I'm naming a feeling of like, oh, I'm scared or I'm worried or this, like it can end up being, you know, I like to try and I try not to say like a negative emotion, but like the harder like stuff, the things that you don't really want to feel like we try not to feel the uncomfortable emotions that like naming it. And then it's like not trying to be like, let me just be in joy or that too. Like a lot of it's like, oh, what can I do to nurture myself? And so those could be those practices. But yeah, sometimes it's like for me, like, oh, let me go read a novel or just but like it's like attending to myself. Then I guess that I am sort of like regulating my nervous system without, without I had been doing that without realizing it, perhaps. Like <laughs> Yeah. And even, I mean, I've seen on your, on your social media, like the might like, and you don't call them this, but like a mindful walk, like you just go outside. What do you call it? My wonder walk. <laughs> yeah. <Your> wonder walk. <laughs> like you just go outside and look at flowers and like, take it, like slow it down and let things move through. I think in general, as a culture, we have pretty fast paced 
it's like sort of American life and throughout the world, there are lots of places where it's like, get it done, get it done, get it done. And then you add technology onto that and you add lots of, you know, context on top of that. And it's easy for us to just feel and be sitting with a lot of tension. And so those wonder walks, it's like, ah, right. Like that's one of those things that just almost like recalibrates you. Yeah. Right? I was going to say like reset where it's like a lot of times it's not like you, it's just like, yeah, I'm not feeling great. Um, let me just get outside and just be present with what I'm walking to and me filming like that stuff. It's, it could seem like, well, you're like then filming it, but it, it helps me in many ways. Like, let me find things that I want to share. Like for me, that's like, a, it also actually a lot of times helps that like, yeah, this is my intention. I'm going to go be present with things. And even though I'm like going to film it to later post, like, like it actually like gets me really like, here I am. Wow. Look at this. <laughs> I once posted I was walking my dogs and I was like, my mind was really busy as walking to do, 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 as we do. Right. And then I looked up and there was this cherry blossom above my head and I was like, oh my God, that is so beautiful. And so I took a picture of it with my phone and I ended up posting it later or something like, you know, my mind was busy and then I looked up or something like that. But then you get, this is the funny thing about technology and social media. Then you get the memory of that like every year in the spring. right? And so like, it solidifies the lesson. So yeah, I think there are moments to like unplug from that for me. And there are moments for me to like appreciate and share, you know, just that, that little pivot point or the beauty, you know, a, a colleague of mine, uh, Rosita, who I had on my podcast too, she sent me like all these pictures of flowers from her flower walk over the weekend. And I was like, yes, thank you. It is amazing how, and that's, I obviously don't take videos of every walk I've ever taken. But yes, yeah, so sometimes that when I do share them, it's a fun thing. But yeah, when I will see other people share, like, you know, like somebody's like, I have a friend who has a, I don't know, just when somebody's in a place of nature and they share a photo, I can tell where like sometimes people can be like, oh, people don't want to see this or am I like showing off. But when I see this calming picture of nature, I'm like, oh, like I immediately like relax and take a deep breath. And so I'm like, share more of the, every time you go to this house, please take a picture. Like it, you're not being like, oh, look at me. Like I feel the effects of like taking in that peaceful nature in like a second. I feel a shift in my body from like being transported through your phone and my phone. <laughs> yes. A friend of mine is in Maui right now and he keeps posting pictures. He and his wife like walking on the beach or the sunset or, and I'm just like, every time I see it, I'm like, Oh, thank you, Bruce. <laughs> it's so <laughs> incredible because then I feel like I got this little trip. I've been there before. I know what it feels like. I can get this little taste of, oh, that feels amazing. <laughs> Love it. Okay. I was going to get to the questions I ask everyone, but is there anything else that you wanted to share or say about your journey or what you're up to now or that you want people to know before I get there? So one thing... I maybe a couple things. One thing I wanted to say that I think is important that you brought up is this element of nurturing yourself. And I think in a lot of the work that I've done, what I've come to is like, there's harm and neglect and there's care. And so harm and neglect put us into a place where, you know, we're, we're harmed, we're neglected. There's something, uh, uh, um, some way we've been hurt. Right. Whereas care and asking like, how can I nurture myself? What do I need right now? Like those types of questions in the present moment can be so powerful. And then not just asking the question, but then responding to the need. And this is where it starts to get into like, almost like parenting or attachment, right? Like, what do you do with an infant? You're like, oh, okay, you're cold. Oh, you're sad. Oh, you're, you're hungry. Oh, you need a diaper change. Like, 
there's this element of communication and, and almost like reparenting of ourselves, if you want to take it there of like, or continual parenting and care for ourselves of like, what do I need right now? Oh, I'm hungry. What do I need right now? Oh, my brain is full. I need a wonder walk. What do I need right now? I need to lie face down in my fuzzy carpet <laughs> and like do, like do a face down Shavasana, right? Or I need to talk to someone. I need to set a hard boundary. I need to finish this work so I can, my brain can be free tomorrow. I need to make a plan to write my book. It doesn't always have to be, you know, sunshine and roses. It's lovely when it is that. It can also be sometimes self-discipline or a commitment or, you know, having a hard conversation. But that question, what do I need right now? How can I care for myself? How can I nurture myself? All of those, I think, propel us in a positive direction. So whatever you're dealing with, wherever your nervous system is, whatever trauma you've been through, I think that's a helpful question to practice. Awesome. And then there's like 20 million other things I can say. (laughs) (laughs) So many ideas. Okay. What's the next one? You don't need to say 20 million, but I'm happy to receive another. (laughs) I feel another one coming on. Um. I feel like, I mean, you're asking like, is there anything else I want to share or anything else I'm up to right now? I mean, you came on my podcast. That's been a huge, um, huge, huge thing for me. Thank you so much for coming on as a guest. I, I feel like having healing conversations is really important right now. And I know in the world, we're digesting a lot of individual and collective trauma. And so along those lines, um, I'm always trying to orient as a trauma therapist to like, what's the, what's the next best step forward? What do I need right now? What do we need right now? What's the way to also keep a mind of what we are trying to cultivate? Cause it's really easy to get lost in like, quote unquote, mental illness. Like I have this diagnosis or I have this, but like, what's, what's our direction? What's our hope? Like, what do, what are our supports? What are our resources? And so I think we can get really lost, easily lost right now in the struggles and the problems and the challenges of the world. And we can lose sight of what's the next best little thing, right? We can lose sight of how can I care for myself amidst all of this rather than getting swallowed by it. We can lose sight of this is shitty and this is how it's been, but what do I want it to look like? And what actions can I take today that start to create that world, right? Like small interactions, right? With with someone else or with ourselves or with the choices we make. And so I feel like that piece is really important in terms of coming back to ourselves, coming back to what we need and staying connected to really what we're creating because at moment to moment we're, we're creating something, right? Like, again, it's this like artwork, this crazy quilt all around the globe that we're, we're weaving together and all of our, internal thoughts and interactions are a part of that. So it can feel like we're powerless, but we really do have power in that. I think those are the points where we have that power. And so if we don't yield it and we just sort of fall into, oh, there's so much trauma and there's so much overwhelm. I'm not saying, no, we're not going to feel that way. We're going to feel that way, right? Like I feel that way. But, but we can get almost like sideswiped into that and spend months, days, years there rather than going, oh my God, there's so much pain. There's so much suffering. There's so much challenge. Okay. Let me come back to, let me look at the flower above my head. Let me look at my healthy dogs with me. Let me think about how I speak to my partner. Let me think about the next step in my business or my career, or what message I'm going to write in this book or like how, 
I'm going to show up in my world because there's so many ripples from that, that, you know, we can't really measure or see, but have, but hold a lot of weight and have significance and power. Yeah, I totally um, get that and agree. And I think I share something like about that in in the book and after shoulds do the once too, because it's like, yeah, it's like, I'm all about like, yeah, life is not all sunshine and roses. And like, yeah, we do have to deal with things and things that shouldn't happen do happen. So like, how can you like move through those things and not like ignoring them? But yeah, like, so what can you do when you have a shitty situation, whether it's in your personal life or in the world? <laughs> and honestly, what you just said, that's like the essence of trauma recovery, things that shouldn't happen that that are unfathom, un- unfathomable for so many of us. Like they happen. And then what? Right. And I think a lot of people feel like, especially maybe earlier in life, once one of those things happens to you, you're almost like in a different club from people who haven't had those things happen yet. Right. Like now what? Right. Like, so there are those people who grow up relatively well supported. I'm going to be a doctor, go to school, be a doctor, haven't had a major trauma shake them. And, and when you're connected to someone like that and you have a major trauma that shakes you, there can be a little disconnect of like, they're still sort of living in a world that feels protected. Like those things don't happen. They can't happen. They shouldn't happen. But then when you live through something where you're like, no, that happened, it shouldn't, it, 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 it's not the world I want to live in, but it's what I've lived through. Now what? Right. And so I think figuring that out, finding a path forward and bringing in as much of that, like, growth that comes with those things, that shitty growth that we don't want, but is so valuable. Like bringing that with it, I think can just make all the difference for our own lives. But it's hard to step out of the sort of safe bubble and by no choice of your own, like have this like life shattering experience. But I think it happens to most people at some point or another in life. And we've got to figure out what do we do then? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, that's, uh, I feel like one of the most, uh, things that I had forgotten about, but like worrisome thing of like, how will it land is that in, there's a chapter that's like, choose it or change it, where I talk about like these ideas of things that shouldn't happen. And like how, what helps me is like to actually, it's not, I, I don't believe in the like, it's not happening to you. It's happening for you. Well, I say that, yeah, that can help people at sometimes, but a lot of times we're going through hard things. It's not that, but like for me, it's just simply accepting like, this is what's happening. Or if something, if something terrible has happened, whether it's like you get a diagnosis or a friend diagnosis or something, yeah, abuse or whatever, that it's like that happened. And so like actually accepting that it happened without placing blame on yourself or shame or like carrying that too, that it's just a simple like that happened, the acceptance that it happened. And so then like, okay, but I'm here now. And so it's like this weird, I was, it was a challenging chapter to like express this because I'm like, I didn't want to be like, oh, it, it just happened. And I wasn't like in that intention, but like for me, the hearts of it is like, yeah, that happened. Okay. And I'm here now. It's like not forgetting it, but not feeling the blame and the shame, but just like, I don't know. It's such a, a fully weighted thing. So I hope that what I wrote like lands and supports people and doesn't make them think that I'm trying to brush things off. I feel like I gave examples and stuff, but yeah. I think even trying to articulate that is so is so important. It makes me think of one of my favorite mantras is this is what's happening right now. 
for all the things like, yes, there's a war happening. Yes. There's these other, but like, if I open my window and look outside, like this is what's happening right now. The sun is shining. There are birds, right. Or something awful just happened. This is happening right now. Like there's a level of acceptance. There's a level of connection. Um, and I think in really extreme experiences of trauma, our body decides for us that we can't be with it because it's too much. And that's where, yeah, it's great to like go to therapy and work through that piece by piece because it was too much to be like, oh, this is what's happening. This awful thing is happening right now. And I think that's where that sort of formal setting of therapy can be super, super helpful for people to say, okay, this, this horrible thing happened. I want to I deal with it. I want to come to that place of some degree of acceptance of like, this is what happened. And here I am now, right? Like, this is what happened. And I'm still alive and I still have choices and I can move through some of those like, yeah, I'm with you. I don't like to say negative feelings, but like hard feelings to feel uh, in order to, to be here now and to be able to move forward. Yeah. And that's what like, it's sort of like, yeah, that I'm orient myself to like the present. And so whether it's like I'm currently in that hard thing, then it's like, okay, so I'm in this, ha- this is what's happening. So what, how am I going to move through this rather than like just being stuck in the, this is so terrible. Why is this happening? This shouldn't be happening. And that doesn't allow me to do like, and it doesn't mean like, how can I see the good in it? But just like, okay, this is what's happening. Or like, again, like, okay, that happened. And so, and here I am now. And like, <laughs> uh, okay. Anyway, enough about that. But <laughs> uh, okay. Was there anything else you wanted to share before I got into the questions? No, go for it. Okay. So the first one is, what do you, what does it go to, to raise your joy levels? The first thing that comes to mind is my puppies. I'm puppies. I have two dogs, Iris and Boomy. Iris is four. Boomy is one. And they're a lot sometimes, (laughs) but like, so seriously, like Alex is out walking them right now. Otherwise Boomy would be sitting right next to me and like putting a paw every, like he just put his paw on me. And so it's funny because I'll be working and I'll be like irritated by it. And then I just have this moment of like, okay, I'm just going to turn towards him and look in his eyes. And he's so adorable. And he's just like, so wanting connection. He's like a baby. He's like a little baby. And so those moments are like pivot moments where I can sort of move back into a feeling of joy. But also there are moments of like, it's, I, I don't want it to be this way, but it feels harder to play as an adult. Like it's not, there's no recess, like where you go out on the jungle gym and like flip around for 15 minutes and then come back in. We should actually make that happen. <laughs> like I got to get a swing set or something. No, it's so funny. I just led like a four week course and um, there was like daily action items that were like, how can you feel more joy, ease, worth, and of fulfillment in your daily life? And so giving them like an action item, something small to do every day. And I think the prompt was like fun. Like my, like what do you do? Like what is fun to you? Like, and it was so funny that like five or six people ended up like swinging. Like, cause one person was like, oh, I went to the playground with my kids and I got on a swing. And then other people were like, oh, I, there's a playground at my, there's a swing outside my work. Like, so it was like, it was like so many, like so many people then were like, oh, I'm going to go swing. <laughs> the craziest thing right now is there actually is a swing in my backyard. There actually <laughs> is hanging from the tree. It's just at the top of the hill and I have to walk up to the top of the hill. Like, what am I even, oh, I have to get a playground. I have a swing in my backyard. I'm going to go on it. That's funny. This. But yeah, I was like giving them these ideas of like these small ways to connect with ourselves to like, oh, okay, I feel this, whatever. Like it's swing was a fun one of them. 
Yeah. So the dogs, like just, I'll jump around with them. I'll just like, I talk to them like baby talk all the time. And we just, I'll just like get a toy or just start like dancing around. They love it. And then like, that's a little moment of joy that I feel like is super accessible to me right now. Love it. Um, I ask everybody to apply this phrase to their own life. What is easiest for you is not always what is best for you. Uh, so like what is easiest for me is blank. What is best for me is blank. My first thought with that, I don't know if I'm exactly filling in the blanks though. I just think to what we were talking about earlier of like, sometimes it's easiest to avoid something that's hard, right? And it's best to find a way and a time or whatever to address it. So uh, that's what comes to mind is like some of those harder self-care things of, okay, I have to actually think through this this problem and resolve it. I have to actually communicate something hard to someone, right? Like I'm serving as president of an international trauma organization right now. And people have a lot of thoughts and opinions and like that funnels through me and the, and the executive director of the CEO. And so like, there are moments where I have to set boundaries. I have to redirect things and have relationships with all these people. And some people I, I don't know as well, but it's like, that's hard, right? To be like really express the care and the boundary at the same time. So, so that's what comes up to for it's like it's easy to avoid hard things and it's important to find a way to address them. Yeah, I feel that. And um, yeah, like that's it's like it's we think like we're somehow like supporting ourselves by not addressing, but then it's just like Weighing on, it's like, hello, it's like lingering the whole time until you do the oh, thing. <laughs> the whole time. Homework, right? It's like grading you haven't done or homework you haven't done or yeah, it just sits there. And, 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 you know, some mentors to me have said, and I try to practice this, although even like from day to day, this is hard to like do the hardest thing of your day first, right? Whatever that is. If it's like, okay, I got to do these 12 things and I'll just warm up to the last thing. I mean, I'm classic, like, let me sit down and warm up. And, and I think sort of neurologically speaking, that there's some degree of that that's wise, but like warm up and do the hard thing and then do the other things, right? And I think there's just a sense of like relief and celebration that comes after that, even if it's not perfect, even if there's more work to do after that, there's, it's like you move through some sort of threshold for yourself and can let go a little bit. Yeah, I'm I'm sort of like that. It's sort of like my like big thing will be like the second or third thing. So I do do a warm up to like okay, well I get myself into like work mode. Let me reply to these emails or let me do this thing that feels easy. And then it's like oh look at me, I'm productive. Now do that thing. (laughs) Now do that thing. Do the thing. Uh, Okay, the last question is the name of the podcast is claim it. What are you claiming for yourself right now? I'm really claiming for myself that I'm a business owner and that might seem a little strange because I've owned a business for like 10 or 12 years now, but it started as a private practice. It turned into, you know, a yoga for trauma online training program. And now it's like, I'm really realizing the degree to which it can grow and the responsibility that goes with that. And it's beyond just like, creating something so that I can like, you know, creating an online business so that I can have flexibility in my life. It's like, there's a lot of like talk, I think around the the internet of that, like create something online so you can have more freedom. And, And I have, you know, been wanting to have more sort of autonomy throughout my career for sure. But there's also this level of like, 
weight or responsibility in a good way of like, I could actually create something really powerful here if I commit to it and invest in it. And so, yeah, even just like last year registered as an S corp and did like those back end like accounting things to get things going. And it's not stuff that comes naturally to me. It's not stuff that's like my interest, but it feels, it feels really important. And I feel like I've set a foundation that's really strong. So so yeah, it's it's sort of weird to say because it's been like 12 years, but there's like an identity I, piece of I it. I get it. No, I feel like yeah. I get it from someone. Like, yeah, it's like, wait, how long have I yeah, been have my, it's like the same amount of time probably, but like yeah, I've been off. Like, I'm like, wait, really, I've been like offering my services for how many, like, yeah, for 10 years or like, yeah, no, that's real. And I don't know if this is like a gender thing at all, but I feel like they're probably. Yeah. There's like these elements of like, I remember even early on going to the bank to get my business card, like uh, account and having this like miscommunication with the teller. And it was this big, hard thing. And then I like left and I was so frustrated and I just came back the following week and I was like, uh, I don't understand what the problem is. What do you need from me? And they're like, oh, oh no, that's what you meant. Oh yeah, we have that. It's fine. Like, but like some of these little steps in creating your business, I feel like you're, you are almost like, maybe I feel like I'm, I'm coming up against like a glass wall or ceiling or something. And so obviously there are so many, you know, women business owners out there. It's not, it's not new, but I do feel like maybe it's like an internalized thing of like, just not thinking of it in that way. And perhaps cause it comes from an evolution of like, you know, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I'm just taking the next step, taking the next step. But that's something that feels important to me now, just to claim that. Love it. And yeah, I get it. And I felt like when you were talking about it, um, like what I was feeling is like, yeah, it's like sort of like you're showing yourself and your work respect in that. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing for everything that you do and for having me on my podcast too. I'll definitely link to your podcast and my episode on yours and more. Yes. It was so fun to have you on. I'm so glad we've got to have these conversations and keep on keeping on. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation with Lisa. You can find her at How We Can Heal, Yoga for Trauma, Lisa Danielchuk for all things me, yourjoyologist.com or trishahuffman.com. You can find me most active at underscore Trisha Huffman on social media, but I also have Claim It Podcast and Your Joyologist. I love hearing from you. So tag me, share the episodes, get my book. If you have it already, please leave it a review. Reviews, like I said, matter so much for podcasts and books as well. And if you don't have it yet, go to ftheshouldsdothewants.com, find where you want to order it from, and you can also go there to claim bonuses, whether you're ordering the book right now or you've had it for a few months. I really appreciate you. I appreciate you all sharing when you're reading the book. Please keep tagging me. It really means so much that the book is resonating with you. I mean, that's why I spent the time to get it out in the world, right? For you. So I really appreciate you so, so, so much. And please go check out and try my new From the Heart community. You can go to trishahuffman.substack.com backslash subscribe. I feel like I keep saying that wrong, but that is it. TrishaHuffman.substack.com is where the portal is. Um, but to find the subscribe, you can just go straight to backslash subscribe. Um, it's really fun to be able to really put that in there and, you know, and 
it's special to, I'm sure, you know, you can go to social media to find inspiration, but this is coming right to you. You don't have to wait for any algorithms to bring you the things. And um, yeah, I'm really excited about it. So go check it out. I'm always up for hearing from you. So hit me up at underscore Trisha Huffman. And for the last thought of the day, what are you claiming for yourself right now? Claiming joy, ease, change. What are you claiming?